The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Prescription for Success with your host, Dr. Emil Haldi. Each week, we come through the myths and facts about health and wellness in order to bring you the best advice and the right information that you need to live an incredible life. Now, here is Dr. Emil Haldi. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Prescription for Success. This is your host, Emil Haldi. We have prepared an outstanding show for you today. Today, we'll talk about pain, healing, autoimmune conditions, and much, much more. You have probably already heard me say that people with, m- with more options live better lives. My goal for the show is to give you more options. I want you to have an extraordinary life. Not an ordinary life. No, no, no. Extraordinary life. Also, you can go back and listen to any of our previous episodes and get some pearls of wisdom. Feel free to email me with your comments and questions at wellness at hcompound.com. I want to stay connected with you. Please go and like us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. You can access all our social media links via my host page on Voice America. In addition, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. And I'm super excited to share this with you. My executive producers just got our numbers. And I'm blown away. We are being listened to in nine countries. Yes, nine countries. That's pretty incredible. Thank you for listening. And please tell your friends and families to tune in. And today, I have an extraordinary guest with me. Dr. Peter Osborne is the clinical director of Origins Healthcare in Sugarland, Texas. Dr. Osborne is a doctor of pastoral sciences, a doctor of chiropractic medicine, and a board-certified clinical nutritionist. In the health world, he's known as the gluten-free warrior. He's the author of best-selling book, No Grain, No Pain, Dr. Osborne has been featured in many national TV and radio programs. Dr. Osborne, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today. It's a pleasure and an honor to have you. We're going to have such an amazing discussion. So, Dr. Osborne, you have an amazing career. Tell us a little more. How did you make a transition from a, a, a doctor of chiropractic medicine, doctor of pastoral sciences, to the gluten-free warrior path? How did that journey take place? I would argue that that journey happened actually. And when I was training in chiropractic college, we were very fortunate. We were able to do hospital rotations. It was one of the, I think the only school actually in the world, only chiropractic school that actually where chiropractic interns rotate with medical interns. So I was able to rotate through the different expert specialties of medicine. And one of those specialties was in rheumatology. So I spent time at the VA hospital in a rheumatology rotation, and uh, one of the things that that struck me as I was there is no one got better, right? No one ever was better. No one ever came in like, you know, whistling and with a zip in their step. They were all really kind of depressed. They were all really still in pain. They were on really strong drugs. You know, methotrexate is, is, you know, it's a cancer medication used to treat rheumatological disease but it wipes you out. It makes you tired. It exhausts your B vitamins. It, it has a lot of side effects. Corticosteroids, um, 
A lot of them were on steroids for their pain management. A lot of them were on non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. A lot of bad side effects of these things. And, and so although some of them had improvements in their pain, they didn't have improvements in their quality of life. And many of them didn't have improvements in their pain. They still struggled. They still had joint, joint deformities. And what, what would happen every Tuesday in the hospital, the surgeons would rotate to our floor and they would take, you know, all the patients that day and they would basically, they wouldn't even really examine them. It was kind of sad. Like they would come into the room, they wouldn't touch the patients. They would have an x-ray there in, on the view box. And this was before digital x-ray, right? So they just had, they had the x-ray up on the, on the view box. And they would look at the x-ray and say, yeah, you're, you're, a, surger, you're a surgical candidate without any orthopedic exam. Just like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to cut open your joint and replace it with a piece of metal. And these were, look, these were people that were already in, in terrible health. So now we're going to do surgery. That, doesn't, that never made any sense to me that we would take somebody who already had a health deterioration and put them under the knife expecting that they were re- going to heal and recover from that surgery because the outcomes were poor already in those types of surgery. And you take somebody who's been on medication for 10 plus years and it's destroyed their nutritional health and, and, and had a lot of you know, detrimental side effects. They just don't do well post-surgery. Now, look, I'm a veteran. I was in the VA hospital and I'm a veteran of the Air Force. And so, you know, these were my brothers and sisters, you know, in arms. And what I saw happening there, I just wasn't happy with. So I started researching autoimmune disease because that's what it was, right? Rheumatological disease. You're talking about rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, reactive arthritis, you know, the whole gambit of autoimmune conditions. We knew already there was a model of disease where we, it, an autoimmune disease called celiac disease, and we knew what caused celiac disease. We knew it was gluten that caused right. it. And when you dove into the research on it, you found like people with celiac disease were more prone to having lupus, were more prone to having rheumatoid arthritis, were more prone to having ankylosing spondylitis. So you saw all these connections, right? You're thinking, okay, autoimmune disease can be cured by a diet change. Why isn't anybody in the VA hospital investigating this? Why aren't we doing any side studies? So that was one of the first questions I brought to my attending. I'm like, hey, look, here's the research. Here's the literature. Let's take 10 people. Let's try a gluten-free trial. You know, and I was promptly told no, that that wasn't helpful and that that wasn't going to be something that anyone was going to attempt. Why do you think that happened? Why do you think that you were told no? Standard of care. You know, if, you know, people fear change and doctors are not, they're not different than other people. They fear change. They don't want to implement something they don't understand. And they certainly don't want to implement something that, um, well, I don't want to get into the ego thing, but because not all doctors are that way. And I don't, and I don't want to generalize, but, but some doctors do have egos. And when you tell them something that's new to them and they're not open to learning, like they just shut it down. They don't want to be told something by a student. And, uh, and I think that's a big part of why I was told no. Now, I, I went back to the drawing board. I said, okay, let's try something else. Let's, let's pull some more research on, on autoimmunity. So I pulled a bunch of research on fasting. And, and it showed the research on fasting showed that people with autoimmune pain could, could get relief in as little as 48 hours. So this is amazing, right? This is better than any methotrexate. This is better than, than any of the disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs. And so... What, what happened next was I was told, no, we're not going to do any fasting. So then I, I went back one more time and uh, I found research on using fish oil. Mm-hmm. And, be, and, and I thought this one would fly because fish oil was actually a prescription. So if I could get them and convince them that, you know, the research was showing that fish oil was equally as effective at pain management as non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, comparing, you know, pound for pound, 
fish oil was just as effective in research. So I brought that, that research again to my attending and he said, no, we're not doing any of this and quit bringing stuff to me. So, you know, in that ultimate frustration, when I left the VA hospital, I started my private practice. One of my very first patients in private practice was a little girl and she was terminal. So she had, ter- uh, she had been given a diagnosis of juvenile rheumatoid arthritis at the age of two. And so she had been medicated for seven years from the age of two to the age of nine. And at the age of nine, the doctors looked at her mother and they said, your daughter's going to die. You need to go home and get your affairs in order and plan for the funeral. Like that's what they told her. This little girl was so sick and so destroyed by the medicine because she wasn't as much sick from the disease as she was really deteriorated from the result of the quality of life that the medicines created the side effects for. So she was in and out of the hospital super frequently. She had a permanent stent embedded in her arm. You know, one of the first things I did with her was I tested her for gluten sensitivity and she was positive, mm-hmm. right? So we immediately, we immediately took her gluten-free and within six months, the stent came out, her knees quit swelling, she felt better, she was off all medications and she was walking again without, without pain. Six months, right? Six months versus Amazing. seven years, right? And so, and then- Six months came and, and she didn't die, right? But she was better. And you know how many of her rheumatologists and experts called me? None. Zero mm. of them called me and said, holy cow, what did you do with this girl? We want to do this. We want to apply this with all of our patients. Nope, didn't get a single phone call, but we saved this little girl's life. Now, she's already graduated from college. This was years ago. She's out in the world doing great things today. But it was her. It was her. And it was the influence that we had with diet change, with her rheumatological disease, when, when I saw the power of saving a life that I knew this message had to get out there and I had to get it out there in a very big way. So it, 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 didn't, it didn't take me from my roots of chiropractic. You know, as chiropractors, we are the masters of neuromusculoskeletal diagnosis. We are in that realm. That is our, that is our if you will, like our wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. But, but I also have, uh, I have a degree in pastoral science. So I am a big believer in the power of the mind and spirituality and healing. And so you know, I also have a diplomate with the American Clinical Board of Nutrition, so I'm extra certified, I'm board certified in nutrition. So I didn't want to just take one aspect of my training. I wanted to be able to take all wheelhouses of my training and really be more comprehensive and serve people in a much better way. Wow, that, that's pretty cool. And I could see and hear the passion in, uh, in your voice. And uh, obviously, I'm watching on video here. You are very passionate about what you do and saving lives and, and getting people out of the autoimmune conditions. And in this case, the example of a girl is, is truly touching. And thank you for your service. I know you mentioned you, you're a veteran. A veteran. Thank you for your service. Uh, I appreciate it. So we'll live in a very, very sophisticated world. There's a lot of technology out there. Where should people look to, uh, to, to learn more about the new ways of healing themselves? Where do they begin? Well, you know, it, that's a great question. It really is. Because there are a lot of websites that are kind of mom and pop. Somebody is out to make a quick buck and they're just, they're pawning something and it's not really scientifically validated. And so, but they're selling an idea, right? And you have to watch out and you have to be careful. You know, there's an old saying that truth has a resonance. Like when you hear truth, it resonates with, with you. Mm-hmm. And I would say, when you're doing your research online, I mean, for us, go to glutenfreesociety.org. It's my foundation. We set it up in honor of Ginger. That was the little girl who really changed the course of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but we set that up to educate the world about gluten-related illness and autoimmune disease. Um, so that's a site you can go to. There's, there's the National Library of Public Medicine or the Public uh, Medicine Library that, that is 
you know, it's funded by the government, but all the research that's done, all the major research that's done, and it's actually published in medical science journals, gets published there. So anybody can go to that. It's PubMed.org um, or yeah, PubMed.com. Either one, I think, will, of those URLs will work. Um, it's a great place to find research studies. Now, you may be listening to this and you may not have like a doctorate degree or a master's degree in science where you have a background where you can read all those complex terms and words. In that case, get with a solid doctor who is an expert in functional medicine and, and have a relationship, right? And have a relationship with that doc. Don't go it alone. Um, we have a world with technology, but, but at the same time, don't go it alone. I mean, technology doesn't replace relationships. And I think in, in, in most aspects of where it has tried to replace relationships, we see a lot of people suffer as a result of, of not having that relationship instead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that. Tell us a little more about functional medicine. Let's go back to the basics. Can we define that for our listeners? Absolutely. I'm, I'm very passionate about functional medicine. It actually, it's funny. Chiropractic is the original functional medicine. It's funny because the definition of functional medicine, basically, very simply put, is root cause resolution. We're looking for the root cause of why a person has developed an illness. We're not trying to cover up the symptoms. So in functional medicine, we want to know why. We care less about what. We want to know why. So what is the diagnosis? So you go to a doctor and they tell you, oh, you have positive this or positive that. And that means you have rheumatoid arthritis, or that means you have multiple sclerosis, or that means you have, you know, whatever it is, Hashimoto's hypothyroidism. They tell you that you have a disease, but they don't tell you what causes it. And in most cases, they tell you, we don't know what causes it. And the irony for me in that is that if somebody says, we don't know what causes it, and they pull out a pill bottle and say, but we know what cures it. That absolutely doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't cure it. Drugs don't cure disease because people don't develop diseases over drug deficiencies. Now, that doesn't mean that drugs can't be helpful and that drugs can't be beneficial in certain scenarios. But too frequently, doctors pull the prescription pad, say we don't know what causes it, but we know how to treat it. And what they're actually doing, they're not treating the disease at its origin. They're treating the disease at its symptom. It would be, you know, the synonym here would be put a Band-Aid over an infected wound, okay? You hide the cut, but you don't fix it, right? And the cut's going to still be there. And, the, and if it's infected, it's now it's going to potentially turn into gangrene or go septic on you, and you're going to have a much bigger problem. And you don't want to do that with chronic diseases. You know, chronic diseases like low thyroid or hypothyroidism, chronic diseases like arthritis and all the autoimmune, different autoimmune arthritis and hormone, different, different hormone abnormalities, those are chronic disease. And if you medicate those, without actually trying to solve the root of why those problems exist, then you don't treat the whole patient, you treat the patient's symptoms, and that, that's medicine. That's allopathic traditional medicine. Right. Functional medicine is identifying root factors. So if we're really looking at what root factors are for most chronic disease, now I'm not talking about infection. Mm -hmm. If you've got a bacterial infection and you're running 104 fever and it's gonna kill you, take an antibiotic, please, right? <laughs> I'm talking about chronic disease of lifestyle choice. Because that's what 99.9% .9 of all disease is in the United States today. It's disease of choice. It's just doctors are telling people that it isn't their fault and that the pill will solve their problem. And people love to hear that it isn't their fault. Like that's a really easy trap to fall into. But we want to know why. There's four major triggers. Mm -hmm. One of them is food. One of them is chemical exposure. One of them is microbial imbalances. So like bacterial infection, viral infection, yeast infection, those types of things. And then the fourth is nutritional deficit, not getting adequate nutrients from the foods that we're eating. Those are the four really big triggers if we look at chronic degenerative disease. Now, some would argue 
that broken spirit and bad stress and high levels of stress are part of that. And I agree, right? But it's hard to quit your job if your job is what's stressing you out, but it's easy to change your diet. So if we're talking about four very easy triggers to start looking at and changing to make the biggest impact in a person's health, that's where it really should begin. That's a very uh, powerful explanation. I really like why versus what, because most things in life, if you want to get motivated, find out the why. Why are you looking to get motivated? Why are you looking to achieve something in life? So in your, the functional medicine you're saying is looking at the why. That is so powerful. Simple, but powerful. So we talked about autoimmunity, but we mentioned several autoimmune conditions earlier. Let's go back to the basics and define what is autoimmunity to our listeners. And uh, there are reports that autoimmune conditions are on the rise. Can you tell us as to why? Absolutely. So autoimmunity, there's two ways to look at it. There's a wrong way and a right way, but then there's also kind of a misleading way. But autoimmune disease, what it is not, it is not your immune system uh, malfunctioning. Your body doesn't malfunction. Your body does things to protect you, right? Your body has innate wisdom and intelligence in it. And so when your body starts to attack your thyroid and Hashimoto's autoimmune thyroiditis, or if it starts to attack your joints and rheumatoid arthritis, it's not malfunctioning and it's not overreacting. It's being tricked. Um, what happens with autoimmune disease is, generally speaking, is there's a trigger or a set of triggers that create a scenario chemically in your body that make your immune system look at your own tissues as if they are an enemy. It's not, it's not it auto, what autoimmune disease is not, it is not your immune system being too strong. And I want to be very clear about that because a lot of people come to me and say, hey, I don't want, you know, I'm, I'm at the compounding pharmacy and there's this supplement that's vitamin C and vitamin A and those are immune boosters, but I have autoimmune disease and should I take those supplements, right? Yes, you can. Because taking supplements that support immune function don't support the overreactivity of an immune system. And, and with autoimmunity, again, that's why I want to be clear. It's not really your immune system acting too aggressively. It's your immune system attacking your own tissue. So we want to know why that happens, right? Usually, there are several different hypotheses behind why it happens. But one of the most accepted and well-researched is what I've just said, those four triggers, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we have the four triggers being food as a trigger. That's where we learned about celiac disease, gluten being the trigger for celiac disease, right? We have infection being a trigger. We have chemical exposures being a trigger. And we have nutritional imbalance or nutritional deficit being a trigger. And most people don't have one trigger. Like some people are gluten sensitive, but they also have a vitamin C deficiency. And they also have a yeast overgrowth. And they also are being exposed to too much lead or arsenic or something like that, right? So there's all these different like patterns that we'll see in people because autoimmune disease doesn't have one cause. That's why, that's why doctors will tell you we don't know what causes it because most doctors don't think past simplicity, right? And autoimmune disease is, is, is a disease of complexity. It's a disease, of, it's multifactorial. So we have to look at all the different potential factors that can actually trigger it. So looking at those four triggers, measuring those four triggers becomes very, very critical and very, very important for any person who's struggling with any form of autoimmunity, no matter what the diagnosis was. Doesn't matter whether you have MS or ALS, doesn't matter whether you have rheumatoid arthritis or Hashimoto's, okay, or Graves disease, it doesn't matter. You have to start by identifying the triggers. And if you can identify the triggers and remove them, your body's immune system will stop attacking you. 
Now the process in that, and I'm, I'm, I hope I don't bore your audience with this, but there's a, there's a, it's kind of a geeky process called molecular. Let's hear that. <laughs> yeah, molecular mimicry. And so okay. let me let me give you an example of what molecular mimicry is. Okay, M- probably most of your audience, because I, I I know you're a smart guy and you deliver great information on a regular basis. They probably have heard of leaky gut. Okay, so imagine that leaky gut. We've got this microscopic pinholes punched in the gut lining so that bacterial poop and waste and all kinds of toxins are leaking into the bloodstream. But what you want to understand is that right behind the gut wall where those toxins are leaking, 70% of the immune system is sitting right there. 70% of our entire immune system lives there. It's called the GALT, the gastro-associated lymphoid tissue. Now, when those toxins are leaking through and they're not being properly vetted by the gut, because the job of the gut is to quarantine bad guys and keep them from getting into the blood, mm-hmm. okay? But when that quarantine is breached and those chemicals are, are leaking through and stimulating the immune system, the problem is some of those chemicals look like human tissue. Let me give you a couple of examples. And in, in, in a, there's a type of bacteria that can inhabit the human gut called Klebsiella, mm-hmm. okay? Now, Klebsiella produces a toxin or a protein that looks like cartilage. So if that toxin is leaking past the gut into the bloodstream and it stimulates the immune system, the immune system is attacking that toxin. It's just doing its job. Remember, the immune system doesn't do the wrong thing. It's doing its job. It's attacking that toxin. But unfortunately, that toxin looks like a person's cartilage. So over time, if that doesn't stop, if that Klebsiella is not dealt with, then the immune system starts to look at the cartilage and say, hey, that cartilage looks like that toxin. Start attacking the cartilage too. We think that's a bacterial toxin. That's molecular mimicry. The molecule being produced by the toxin mimics the person's tissue, and that stimulates the immune response to go and attack that particular tissue. And that's that's how autoimmune disease, basically, that's how autoimmune disease happens. So, so we want to stop, again, that leaky gut. We want to stop that leaky gut by stopping those triggers because it's those triggers that can stimulate or, or can create a leaky gut. Yeah, you, you've explained it very eloquently how it's all interconnected. And, and really, the autoimmune conditions is the protection mechanism for the body. Um, and it's, it's thinking that the toxins, it's there to attack the body and it's attacking the body itself, the, the reaction that's produced. So very, very... A simple but to the point explanation. You mentioned heavy metals, and uh, I know we touched on this earlier, but uh, my listeners know that one of the toughest journeys of my life was the dealing with a uh, very severe mercury toxicity. And what I, would, what I really, really surpri- uh, was surprised to find out, that heavy metals are an unbelievable trigger for autoimmune conditions. Many of them, and there are documented cases, people with MS, that uh, detox uh, from uh, heavy metals and MS's, uh, MS-like symptoms disappear. And there are other case reports, which is tremendous. And this is just one example of the, the, the four elements that you mentioned. So it's very complex, but also very powerful. So grain has been a staple food for many people for years, but many are rushing away from grains. Why is that happening? Can you tell us more? So, yeah, so grain... The myth is that grain has been a staple. <laughs> I mean, I, I really want to go back in time a little bit. Cereal didn't exist before 1895. So if we think about it, really, that's what, the last 120 years, 124 years? Um, not to say that people didn't have grain, but people didn't have the quantity of grain in their diets as a staple food the way we do today. 
Mm-hmm. Cereal didn't exist. You didn't have pizza crust. You didn't have hamburger buns. You didn't have all that. that all that didn't exist, right? And uh, so that creation came along in 1895. There's actually a couple of different manufacturers. Post, you've probably heard of Post cereal. Mm-hmm. Post, Post created grape nuts. That was one of the original cereals. And then Dr. Kellogg, he was a gastroenterologist. Dr. Kellogg created cornflakes. And uh, he actually created it to solve constipation. Like it, it, it was, it was brought in to solve. It was brought in to irritate people's bowels to alleviate their constipation. Because when you throw a bunch of corn processed cornflakes in the gut, it's a gut irritant. Mm-hmm. So if you're constipated, it basically the mechanism is it tells the gut to flush that irritation out, and so it alleviates the constipation. But grain also has in the last hundred years. So aside from that, we've seen an increase in the quantity. Right, a lot of people from from about 1895. All the way up to about 1995, really, um, because in the last you know 20 years or so, grain it, grain is on the way out for a lot of people. As you as you brought the question in, but what happened was we got this massive increase in the consumption of grains and processed cereals. In 1943, the U.S. government actually banned the sale of grain because of its danger in causing beriberi and pellagra. A lot of people don't know that history, but. Um, Beriberi and pellagra are diseases of vitamin B1 and vitamin B3 deficiency, and they were responsible for over 7,000 deaths a year. It was such a problem that the government said, you can't sell the cereal stuff anymore unless you fortify it with B vitamins. So that's where, that's where the original food fortification laws came from, was because the grain was responsible for killing so many people. So then we fortified something that was killing people with synthetic vitamins. That still isn't healthy, right? But people kept eating it because the cereal marketers did a great job of saying, hey, now we're fortified, so we're even better for you. Instead of saying, hey, we, we know we were killing you, but we put some synthetic vitamins in, in here, so we'll kill less of you. Um, you know, it's all about the marketing. But anyway, from the 1980s, 19, early 1990s, one of the things that happened in farming, aside from genetic hybridization and genetic manipulation of a lot of grains, so wheat's not genetically manipulated, but it is hybridized, so it contains a lot more DNA than it used to. And a lot of that DNA are, are, are strands of DNA that are designed to protect the wheat plant from predators. So if you think about that, the wheat is better at producing toxic chemicals to protect it from bugs, to protect it from other pests and things of that nature. The corn's been genetically modified to engineer its own pesticide. So you've got those factors that, and people are eating those grains, right? Those hybridized and those genetically modified grains, which we know are problematic. Then you have the the pesticides. Many of the the pesticides, especially in our wheat and corn and rice crops, the glyphosate that's used, which is a a, a compound also known as Roundup. Mm-hmm. You know, we now know that that causes cancer, and the, and the company that produces that has been hiding that from us for a number of years, and now that just came out in a lawsuit. Um, but, but you've got all those things that come with grain. And that's why, because when people go away from grain, when they quit eating grain, number one, what that means is they're cutting out a lot of those proteins, those genetically modified proteins that are designed to protect the grain from predators, not designed to, to be human food. And number two, you're cutting out glutens. And if you're gluten sensitive, you know, you're, now you're, you're no longer getting exposure to those glutens that can p- c- contribute to autoimmune disease. Number three, you're cutting out excessive carbohydrates. A lot of the country is carbohydrate toxic. That's why the keto diet is making such a popular com- you know, come around is because carbohydrate toxicity uh, of, you know, and, and again, grains are largely carbohydrate, right? So people that eat 60, 70, 80% of their diet from high levels of grain-based carbs don't do very well because they bog down their metabolism. Carbohydrates are converted to glucose. Glucose drives up cortisol and diabetes and there's a whole cascade of hormones that happen and cause obesity and other diseases like heart disease. 
So that's what comes with grain, right? But then you also have the way grain is stored. It's stored in big bins where you, it's it's basically it's exposed to heavy levels of mold. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of grains then start to, to start to have what are called mycotoxins, which are toxins that mold produce, like aflatoxin is a very common mold found in wheat and corn that can kill you, right? If it's in a high enough quantity. Now we do have laws that regulate uh, to a certain extent, some of the some of the mycotoxins, but the laws are not very rigid and not very strict. So you've got mycotoxins, you've got excessive carbohydrate, you've got pesticide, you've got genetic manipulation, you've got gluten, you've got genetic hybridization. Then if we want to add more kind of fuel to the fire, we've got that when you overconsume grain, you're overconsuming omega-6 fatty acids as well. Now, omega-6 fatty acids are an essential fat. We all need omega-6. But what happens when your diet is largely consistent of grain is you drive up your omega-6 levels to a toxicity that drives the inflammatory process. So now your body is more prone to inflammation because its omega-6 levels are so high. Omega-6 promotes inflammatory cascade. So you've got all these different properties about grain that create chronic inflammation. And now people, when they get off of grain, they feel better and they're realizing that. And you know, a lot of people in my experience, you know, we're healing rheumatoid arthritis. Mm-hmm. We're seeing uh, lupus go away and go into remission. We're seeing diseases uh, like scleroderma and multiple sclerosis. We're seeing people get out of wheelchairs, right? We're seeing major, major changes in people's chronic autoimmune problems with diet change. That's why I wrote No Grain, No Pain, because it wasn't about just the pain that grain caused physically. It was about the pain on the families. It was about the emotional pain people were going through. It was about the pain of the side effects of the multiple medications they were on. It was about the pain of the frustration that the disease wouldn't go away. But if you took away one food group, a lot of those pains just go away. And I'm not saying that, that a grain-free diet is right, 100% right for 100% of everyone and that it's going to cure every disease. But again, in my specialty, in my practice, people with autoimmunity seek me out. And that's one of the first things that we look to try to detect is whether or not they have a grain issue or gluten sensitivity issue so that we can accommodate their diet to match what it needs to be for their own health. Wow, this is so, so powerful for people who are fighting autoimmune diseases and listening to us. This, this potentially could be something that could help you take your life to the next level. So very, very powerful. We are sharing life-saving information here, and uh, we'll have even the better second part of the show. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Haldi Pharmaceutical Compounding is one of the nation's top compounding pharmacies. We work with medical professionals as well as consumers, both human and veterinary. If you're a patient or a doctor and need to consult us, please call us for a free consultation. Additionally, you may purchase carefully selected quality brand supplements and vitamins at discounted prices at hcompound.com. To schedule a personalized consultation with Dr. Haldi or one of our associates, please email us at wellness at hcompound.com or call us at 646-650-5040. You can also check us out at hcompound.com. Are you living a healthy and fit lifestyle? It's not just related to your physical well-being. It also means a healthier mind, confidence, improved health, 
stamina, and fitness. Talking with Tremaine brings it all to you. Host Tremaine Ellis, along with her husband and co-host David Ellis, will offer support, advice, guidance, and motivation to keep you in your best shape, both physically and mentally. Talking with Tremaine can be heard live every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. You're listening to Prescription for Success. If you'd like to reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to wellness at hcompound.com. Now back to Prescription for Success. Welcome back to Prescription for Success. This is your host, Emil Haldi. Today, I'm having great discussion with a phenomenal guest, Dr. Peter Osborne best-selling author, the gluten-free warrior, and a leader in the field of gluten sensitivity. You can reach Dr. Osborne via his website at drpeterosborne.com. To learn more about Haldi Pharmaceutical or to sign up for a consultation, give us a call at 646-650-5040 or email us at wellnesshcompound.com. If you're just tuning in, make sure you tell all your friends and families to tune in and listen to us. We are discussing amazing, life-saving information. In a previous uh, portion of the show, we talked about functional medicine and how to look for functional medicine uh, providers to help you. We talked about autoimmune conditions. We defined uh, autoimmunity, and we discussed why it's on the rise in today's society. And we talked about grains and the issues that we see with consuming grains. Dr. Osborne, what, what about grains that are gluten-free? Are those okay to consume in your opinion? So here's, here's my take on it. My take is very different, and this is probably going to shock a lot of your audience. There is no such thing as a gluten-free grain. And, um, and so the, the grains that are labeled gluten-free, you know, traditionally at the store, like you go to the grocery store, the food store, you'll see like cornbread, you'll see rice-based pastas, you'll see oatmeal that's labeled gluten-free. There's no such thing as a gluten-free grain, not technically. Let's define what gluten is. I think if if your audience understands what gluten is, they'll better understand this. Gluten is defined as the family of proteins found in the seeds of grass. So if we're really asking the botanical definition of gluten, it's and and Tom Osborne, TJ Osborne, not me, a different (laughs) Dr. Osborne, he's he's known as the the father of plant biochemistry, is actually who created this definition. long before I was ever even uh, in school, right? But it's, it's a family of proteins found in the seeds of grass. Well, what are the seeds of grass? Wheat, barley, rye, oats, sorghum, millet, teff, triticale, corn, rice. Then there are pseudograins, false grains, things that are commonly light grains like buckwheat and amaranth and quinoa. Okay, those are technically gluten-free. Buckwheat, amaranth, and quinoa are technically gluten-free, but there's a lot of research that shows that most of those products, because they're produced in facilities that also produce wheat and other gluten-based products, that they're cross-contaminated. And some research shows that as many as 42% of those products, when pulled off grocery store shelves, even though they have the gluten-free label, when they test for them, they find enough gluten in them to cause damage. So I, I, dis, I discourage people from using pseudo cereals or pseudo grains. And I certainly discourage them from using uh, corn, rice, or oats as gluten-free substitutes. Now, if we look at the, this is one, again, another reason why I wrote No Grain, No Pain, because this, this research was not being 
it was not being put out in the media. The media was not doing its job, in my opinion. The researchers were doing the science. I didn't do the science. I just follow the research, and then I report on what the researchers are finding. But, for example, there's a type of gluten found in corn. It's called Zane, Z-E-I-N. And a study done in 2012 showed that that particular type of gluten was more toxic than wheat gluten for many celiacs. But they're not being told this. As a matter of fact, most people, when they get a diagnosis of celiac disease in the hospital, they're given a gift basket full of cornbread, full of rice-based bread products, full of junk food, basically processed gluten-free foods that aren't really technically gluten-free. So is, as it relates to grain, I don't encourage anyone to consume grain if they're truly gluten-sensitive. So again, the first aspect of knowing that is get tested to see whether or not going gluten-free including corn, rice, and oat, is the right move for you to do because when you do it, it's for the rest of your life. It's not like a 30-day diet to, you know, to feel better and lose 10 pounds. It's really a diet that's necessary in order to prevent an autoimmune disease from potentially killing you. Remember that autoimmune disease is the number one cause of death in women under the age of 65. And it's fast outpacing. It actually already has outpaced cancer and heart disease. And the only reason why statistically cancer and heart disease get more press is because when they talk about cancer and heart disease, they lump them together. All the different forms of cancer are lumped together. So like, like whether you have skin cancer, whether you have lung cancer, whether you have you know bone cancer, it's all in the same category. There's a hundred forms of autoimmune disease and they never get lumped together. They get separated out as individual diseases. So you don't get the same press, you don't get the same kind of um, backing, if you will, with autoimmunity as you do with cancer and heart disease. So it's- wow. it, it's a top killer and you have to be careful because if you're gluten sensitive, it's one of the top causes of autoimmunity. Yeah, it is a major killer. You said the top killer in women under 65. Did I that's hear it right. correctly? Wow, that's, that's a right. major, major, major statistic. So if you are suspecting autoimmunity, please listen to the show. You may be getting life-saving information and get, get your friends and family to tune in as well. So you mentioned tests and getting tested for gluten. So what types of tests do you use in your practice and how reliable are those tests? So I rely predominantly on genetic testing. Uh, there's a set of genetic markers that are linked to gluten sensitivity. There's some of them are linked to celiac disease, but other ones are linked to not what is what's called non-celiac gluten sensitivity. So somebody who doesn't have celiac disease, but they're, they still have a problem with gluten. Um, and genetics, what genetics tell you, because understand this, a lot of people think gluten sensitivity is a disease. And it isn't. It's not a disease. It's a state of genetics. Now, if you have celiac disease, that's a disease. And we could say that everyone with celiac disease is gluten sensitive, but not everybody with gluten sensitivity develops celiac disease. Does that make sense? So, so gluten sensitivity, if you have the gene pattern for gluten sensitivity, what does that mean? That means you have a predisposition that if you eat gluten, that that gluten, instead of looking like food to your body is going to look like an enemy. So your body, your white blood cells in your gut and your white blood cells in your, in your systemic circulation are going to look at that gluten and they're going to mount a response against it instead of welcoming it in as a protein to give them nourishment. And so that response creates an inflammatory reaction. Now, there've been a lot of different uh, research studies that show that gluten can cause different types of immune reactions, like traditional lab testing for gluten. Most doctors use what's called IgG and IgA testing, where they're measuring two types of antibodies to a substance called gliadin. Now, gliadin is also a form of gluten found in wheat, barley, and rye, but it's only found in wheat, barley, and rye. It's not found in corn. It's not found in rice. So, so again, that's one of the limitations of blood tests is they're not really measuring gluten sensitivity. They're measuring gliadin reactivity. 
And you may not have a problem with gliadin. There was a study done in 2010 where 400 new forms of gluten were discovered. 40 of them were more toxic than gliadin. Wow. So if we're relying on a test, which is what most doctors do, they rely on what's called a gliadin antibody test. And it's IgG or IgA typically. Then you can get very misleading results because gluten doesn't just trigger IgG or IgA responses. It can, it can also trigger an IgM response. It can also trigger what's called an immune complex response. It can trigger a direct T cell response. It can also trigger the innate immune system, which is a totally different arm of your immune system. It can also trigger in the gut something called a toll-like receptor. A toll-like receptor, these little receptors in the gut lining that are there to protect you from bad things. And we, we now know that many of our grain-based proteins and glutens trigger toll-like receptor and that's why when people go get this test from their GI doctor and they say, nope, you don't have celiac disease, but they don't test them right. They test them for gliadin, right? But they test them for only two of the six possible ways the immune system could react to it. And so if you don't test for all of the ways, you could potentially miss it. But if you test for the genetics, you can see the person's, how that person's genetically going to potentially react. And that's what I want to know. I want to know what's their genetic predisposition. Because if they have a genetic predisposition, how do you activate that gene to create inflammation? You expose it to gluten. So you can silence that inflammation by not exposing that gene to gluten. Okay. And the only way you can do that is change the diet. So looking at genetics is a much more accurate way to determine whether or not going gluten-free is the right move for a person. So someone who is suspecting that they may have gluten sensitivity, what should they ask their doctor for? Genetic testing? Yeah, ask them for genetic testing. We, we have it set up. So some people go to their doctors and their doctors refuse to do any testing on them. Like they just say no. And if you're one of those people, like our foundation, Gluten-Free Society, actually does that type of testing. So if you, if you want to visit glutenfreesociety.org, there's a, a tab at the top that says genetic testing. And, and our labs will genetically test you if your doctor refuses to. Excellent. Glutenfreesociety.org. Correct. Excellent. So how did you discover this grain pain connection? Well, as a chiropractor, you know, I was treating, for the most part, chronic pain. And what I found early on in practice was that, you know, an adjustment in a lot of the modalities, the physical therapy, the ultrasound, the different types of treatments that we would render didn't work as well. Um, and I would, when I talk to older chiropractors, you know, the guys that have been in the trenches for 40 or 50 years, my uncle was one of them. You know, they, they always would tell me the adjustments just don't work as well as they used to. They just don't hold as well as they used to. And, I, and so I just kept asking why, well, why don't they hold as well as they used to? What's, what's going on physiologically in this person that when you adjust them, it's not fixing their problem. And, the, and, the, and what I came to discover was basically it was because they were chronically inflamed. And the chronic inflammation was actually being caused by their choices and their behaviors. So there are a lot of things that cause chronic inflammation. Gluten certainly is one of them. Grain is certainly one of them. But so is not sleeping enough. And so is sitting at a desk for eight hours a day and not having any exercise. And so is sunshine avoidance, which is what most dermatologists would have you do is avoid the sun for fear of skin cancer. When we need vitamin D, if we don't have enough vitamin D, we develop muscle pain, right? So, I mean, there, there were all these different lifestyle and environmental factors that people were basically being, um, I don't want to say lied to, they were just being misled, right? And so there's a lot of false beliefs and false par paradigms in medicine today, in my opinion, that have led people to creating a lifestyle that actually promotes illness instead of wellness. 
And so when I started to basically talk more and do more about lifestyle with my clients and patients, what I found is their adjustments did hold. What I found is that we didn't need to treat them hardly anywhere near as much if they got proper sleep and proper exercise and proper sunshine and managed their stress appropriately and drank clean water and had air filtration and weren't breathing in chemicals because they lived, you know, half a mile down the, the road was a, was a petrochemical factory or whatever. So we found that just by applying this common sense lifestyle parameter that the inflammation chronically would start to subside. And did that help adjustments? Absolutely. It helped it. Wow. Very, so very much. Yeah. So the, the why in functional medicine addresses uh, the actual the hands-on adjustments. That is so powerful because the inflammation is decreasing. Yeah. And what, I mean, the power of chiropractic for, for your audience is just all chiropractic is doing is manipulating the spine to open and restore the nerve communication to the tissue. And so sometimes a person will have a, a, a pinched nerve, right, which is basically blocking the brain's energy from talking to the organ. So maybe that organ is your liver, maybe that organ is your thyroid gland, and that adjustment frees that energy up to travel. But if that muscle in the spine is so inflamed that every time you adjust it to open that nerve up, that it just clamps right back down and compresses it again, you're not going to get a long-lasting effect. So, so the whole premise of chiropractic is not to have to adjust somebody 100 times. It's really it's to get their body to be nice and, and, and limber and fluid and strong and lean. So that when you do give an adjustment to somebody who needs one, it lasts a really long time and holds for them. Makes sense. Makes sense. So these days, a lot of people are taking medications for pain. A lot of people. And I'm a pharmacist, so I know it's a, a multi-therapy uh, um, for, for, for various pain conditions. In your book, you discuss one of the concepts that's called prescription pain trap. Can you tell us a little more about it? Love to. Love to. I mean... Look, prescription pain medications, Thomas Friesen, the, the director of the CDC, uh, the, I think he's the ex-director now, but he came out and said, no drug poses a greater threat uh, to, the, to the potential death of, of people than pain medications. Like he made that statement, you know, opiates are, opiates are a big, big problem in this country, not, not just from the addiction perspective, but because they actually kill people. Um, non anti-inflammatories, aspirin, ibuprofen kill about 13,000 people a year. You don't see the, the FDA running to ban that. Uh, remember when they banned ephedra for killing like 12 people when they were yes. mixing it with caffeine and, and stacking it with aspirin and uh, they banned it as an unsafe substance? Well, I mean, aspirin kills 13,000 people a year. Nobody's banning aspirin. It's, 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 um, it makes no sense. But anyway, I, I'm going to digress. So let's talk about the, the, the connection between the prescription pain trap, prescription pain medications do different things. Some of them create, so for example, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. So this is like naproxen, um, ibuprofen, Celebrex, aspirin. These, these all kind of fall under that same category. These types of medications are known to cause ulceration in the stomach and small intestines, even at little micro doses, even enterically coated. They still cause ulceration. Research shows that. So that little ulceration rips a hole in your gut lining. That's leaky gut. So they, they yes. basically, they kick off the process of leaky gut, which is the trigger for autoimmune disease, right? So we don't want that if we're treating an autoimmune pain. So that's part of the trap. Then we look at steroids. When you combine a steroid with a non-steroid, so like combining a steroid with, with ibuprofen mm -hmm. makes it about 10 times more effective at destroying the gut lining. So, so there's a synergism that works between steroids and non-steroidal anti-inflammatories that cause leaky gut. But then you also have the fact that steroids drive up blood sugar. It's one of the side effects. They drive up blood glucose. They cause people to gain weight. 
Now, nobody wants to gain weight if they're if they're trying to lose weight, but but you're taking pain medication and maybe you're already 20 pounds overweight and that's why your knee hurts, right? So you get on a steroid for the pain and then you gain another 10 pounds being on the steroid. Now there's more 10 times or 10 pounds more pressure on that knee, right? So that's not serving you to gain weight while you're trying to mask the pain. We want to know why the pain is there, right? So steroids cause cortisol uh, or, or, or elevate sugar, which elevates insulin. Insulin causes fat storage and causes weight gain. Corticosteroids also cause muscle loss. So when you're taking them, your muscles are deteriorating. They also cause bone loss. So, you know, as a chiropractor, if you're losing your bone and your muscle, you, you, you've got a problem if you're trying to overcome a physical pain problem. So these medications that are used and designed to treat chronic pain create a scenario that causes leaky gut, that causes weight gain, that causes elevations in insulin and blood sugar and contributes to diabetes, muscle loss, as well as bone loss. Now, you can throw in the opiates. Let's talk about the opiates. What do they do? They just shut down your gut, right? Opiates cause severe constipation. They shut down your gut. And they, what happens to your food when your gut's motility slows down? It rots inside of you. Nobody wants rotten food sitting inside of them, not coming out the other end. That putrefication of food that happens when you take opiates over time leads to bacterial changes in your GI tract. Those bacterial changes in your GI tract can also contribute to leaky gut and autoimmune problems. So it doesn't matter what class of pain medication that you're on, you're creating a secondary scenario that contributes to the pain in a new and a different way. So when the pain medication quits working, or you have to change the medicine or increase the dose or add a new medication to the mix, you just keep staying in that vicious cycle. Now look, if you're gaining weight, for every pound of fat you gain, your, your body has to grow a mile of blood vessel to feed it. So what's that going to do to your heart? It's going to put more pressure on your heart. It's going to raise your pressure. So now you're going to start developing things like heart disease, hypertension. So then the doctor is going to want to put you on an antihypertensive, right? Whether it's a calcium channel blocker or whether it's a drug like an angiotensin receptor blocker or an ARB. By the way, ARBs as a blood pressure medicine cause celiac disease. We learned that about 15 years ago. There's been about 15 studies now showing that angiotensin receptor blocker medications cause bilis atrophy in the small intestine. So that's not one we want to get hooked up with. And if you're taking a diuretic, they cause B vitamin deficiency. They cause magnesium deficiency. They cause potassium deficiency. So then when you start losing your nutrients, remember, nutritional deficiency is one of the triggers for autoimmune disease. So you're taking a medicine to treat a problem that was caused by another medicine because you didn't actually take the time to look at why the problem was there in the first place, right? That's why it's called a prescription pain trap is you get trapped. And so just one new medication comes in, then another one, then another one, and it's just a vicious cycle and you don't get anywhere. Yeah, that's uh, very, very important. I always tell my listeners, you need to be the CEO of your health, guided by uh, an amazing practitioner, but you need to really understand what's happening in your body, uh, why you're giving this medication, how is that affecting your vitamins, how is that affecting your uh, GI motility, leaky gut, oh, there are so many side effects. So work with your doctor, with, with, with a doctor that understands the body on a, on a micronutrient level, because some of the prescriptions that we discussed, yes, they do cause some micronutrient deficiency. So those are very, very important. So most people associate pain with some kind of physical um, condition, whether it's a back pain, it's frozen shoulder, um, whatever it may be. In your book, you talk about pain going much deeper in, in, into it. You talk about a leaky gut, you talk about hormonal pain, nerve damage, etc. Can you elaborate on that and explain to our listeners that in, based on your understanding, pain is much more than just a physical uh, manifestation? 
Yeah, I mean, what is pain, right? It's 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 your body's your body's basically telling you something's wrong. That's really what pain is. And if we if we block that or mask that or ignore that, then we're not allowing our body to warn us, right? And there are different manifestations of pain. There's physical pain, as you said. There's neurological pain, like neuropathy, numbness, tingling cold hands or feet, burning syndromes, those types of things, reflex sympathetic dystrophy is a neurological you know, disease where, where people have chronic pain that's neurologically rooted. But then you have psychological pain because some people uh, have pain over depression, right? Some people have pain over feeling bad and being frustrated for not understanding why they feel bad. And then when they're being medicated, it's not working and they're still hurting. So there's this pain of frustration and that builds and that creates stress right? And stress is a killer. We all know that stress is a killer. And one of the worst things, in my opinion, one of the worst things is to go through life to not know why, mm. like to not know why you're suffering, but to be told, you know, the drug's going to solve the problem. And the drug's not solving the problem. Like how frustrating would that be? There's hormonal pain because if your hormones are abnormal, if your hormones are malfunctioning because your diet is wrong, because you're eating foods that cause hormone disruption, for example, grains, one of the other things we didn't even talk about, pesticides, pesticides mimic estrogen. The xenoestrogen pesticides can cause women to develop a estrogen dominant syndrome, right? That contributes to things like endometriosis. It contributes to things like polycystic ovarian syndrome. It can contribute to diseases like infertility. So there's hormonal pain, right? And you, you, we could we could say sex steroids like estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, because men, you're not you're, you're you know you're not nullified from this either. You can develop low. A lot of men develop low testosterone. Actually, there's some research studies that show gluten sensitivity can cause low T. So then you have hypothyroidism, and, and you know, I think I think the last time I checked, it's the number one or number two prescribed medication in the country mm. for thyroid, right? And so thyroid pain is a really big problem because a lot of people are tired, right? And they've been told they have low thyroids and their thyroids are malfunctioning, and so they they have a fatigue pain. Thyroid disease also comes with physical pain because when your thyroid hormone is low, you develop muscle pain because your metabolism slows down and you can't heal and repair those muscles. They don't work as well. They become more tight and that, that, that turns into physical pain. So there's all these different avenues to pain. It just depends on how you want to define pain. It depends. Yeah, I, I really like it. It depends how you define pain, but all of it is, is pain to the body. Earlier, uh, before the show, we touched on uh, compounding pharmacy and pharmacists. What role do you see in helping patients by using a compounding pharmacy uh, to create customized medications? My favorite role, and I'm biased, but my favorite role is with actual thyroid medication. Um, the reason why your common medicines to treat hypothyroidism, and that's a, a lot of people come to me nutritionally, they want me to support uh, their ability to overcome that, but a lot of them are gluten sensitive. And if you look at like levothyroxine, right, the, one of the most common medications, it has cornstarch in it. Now, as I said before, you know, when I, when I see people for gluten sensitivity, we don't, we don't consider corn to be gluten-free. So I love sending those people back to their docs so that they can get a compounded script written for a corn-free derivative natural thyroid medication to support them. This is so important. There are additives in commercial products that some of the patients could be allergic to. So this is when your doctor would refer you to a compounding pharmacy. Dr. Osborne, this was uh, a tremendous discussion. Our show is coming to an end, but I want to thank you so much for life-saving information. Uh, you, you're clearly very passionate uh, about sharing this information, and this could be saving a life or two or many 
for our listeners. So thank you so much for joining us. Ladies and gentlemen, you can reach Dr. Osborne via his website at drpeterosborne.com to learn more about how the pharmaceutical or to sign up for a consultation. Give us a call at 646-650-5040 or email us at wellnessathcompound.com. This makes it a show, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to live a happier, fuller, healthier, and a more fulfilled life, you need to be the CEO of your health. You need to be guided by an amazing practitioner. Where it's your life, you lead it. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, be happy and healthy. Thank you for tuning in to Prescription for Success. Be sure to join your host, Dr. Emil Haldi, next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for another edition of the program. Have a great and healthy week.